0: Hey, all my IFG friends, this is Steve. I want to say you know, if you like movies like I do, we've started a new podcast called Happy Hour Flicks. Uh, You can find it anywhere podcasts are found. It's all about nostalgic movies that we love, and we bring on special guests each episode, and we also have specialty cocktails made for each one, too. So it really is an hour of a good time talking about movies that we love, like Gremlins, uh, Seven, uh, Free Willy. Uh, We talk about The Last Starfighter also. I mean, we kind of run the gamut across all the decades and really have a great time. So I wanted to invite you to come over and join us at Happy Hour Flicks, anywhere podcasts are found.
1: Talent is kind of seen as the fun part of pre-production, so a lot of people try it on their own first and then usually come to us being like, that was a terrible idea. This is the, the independent,
2: independent independent, independent Filmmaker's film. Guide from Framework Productions. Framework, framework Productions.
0: Hey, what's up? Welcome back to the Independent Filmmaker's Guide podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Pierce. James is out on assignment today, getting us ready to film a commercial we have coming up. So you are stuck with just me today and my very special guest. Um, My guest today is Rachel Reese. She is a casting director with Liz Lewis Casting. Um, I've known Rachel for well, I mean, it turns out a lot longer than I thought, well over 10 years when I started working as a you know, casting intern initially and then ended up as a casting associate for a limited amount of time on a show called Chopped um, and a couple of other, you know, Bravo series and things. And I was very lucky to learn from her. She taught me the little I know about casting. Um, she's since moved to Liz Lewis and now casts a ton of commercials and voiceovers. She's been honored by the Clio Awards and other award shows for her work. Um, and also does narrative and animation, she's doing a lot of animation right now, but also has done quite a decent amount in the independent uh, film world. So uh, we're gonna learn kind of a lot about casting across the board, when to use a casting director, a little bit about contract types, um, and just generally learn what it's like to sit on her side of the table and kind of play this interpreter between creative, you know writers, directors, producers, and actors. So with no further ado, Let's meet Rachel Reese. Um, Hey, Rachel. So, how are you doing? It's great to talk to you again. I've known you for a while and always in the casting world, um, and I want to get a little bit into your background eventually, but just to start things off, as a casting director, what is the primary responsibilities of a casting director, specifically in the indie independent film sort of scenario?
1: Sure. So, we're the ones who kind of take everything that the production needs talent-wise and we find that. So whether that's from agents, managers, um, classes, things we've seen online, anywhere, we are responsible for finding the talent. So kind of the HR for the talent world, if you will. Um, so we find the talent, we do the outreach for the talent. And then we audition the talent, crafting the options into what the production is looking for. Um, and then filter the best options and send it to production to make the final decision.
0: So when do you usually get involved? Cause I think there are a couple different tactics with casting that at least I'm aware of, like, right. Whenever you have a script and an idea and you're trying to attach somebody early on, or you have a, Oh, here's a fully funded piece. Let's cast this and see what you've got.
1: Um, So earlier the better with casting um, where are I think casting is sometimes forgotten about once a production finishes, because we're usually the first ones in and the first ones out. So basically, as long as there's a script together and the beginnings of a production team, we're ready to dive in and start working. Um, So definitely in pre-production and a lot of times we come in earlier with development because in the indie world, sometimes people need talent to get funding and then it's the fun chicken or the
0: egg scenario. Exactly, the chicken or the egg scenario. I think is a great description. So yeah. those can be quite for an, for a filmmaker. I think it's kind of like, do you have a casting director? Do you not? Because a lot of times people either, if they're getting it off the ground, they like know some people, or they think they want to do it themselves. So what's the difference and what? What are the pros and cons of working with someone like you?
1: Well, I think that's very true. I think talent is kind of seen as the fun part of pre-production. So a lot of people try it on their own first and then usually come to us being like, that was a terrible idea. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So I think the pros of coming to a casting director is we, our minds are filled with talent. We see talent on a daily basis for a ton of projects. So instead of starting from scratch on each project as a director or filmmaker may, we already have the knowledge of actors to consider, actors who might be right. So we're kind of cutting time there. Um, And then the actual auditioning and organization process, we audition talent to mold them to what you're looking for. We keep thousands of options organized. So all production has to deal with are a few of the best options. Um, And we also have relationships with, You know, acting schools, agents, managers, PR people, we can kind of have those conversations in an honest, neutral way um, that filmmakers may not be able to.
0: 100%. I, I think that that's the biggest takeaway I have from casting is that talent, the talent world is a different world than the production world shall I say is you know what I mean it's not you, you think that the production there there's like a whole vernacular there are ways people you know work together they're deal making and a whole um I don't even want I don't even know how to say it but like a mechanism for approaching offering negotiating booking like there, there's a whole world out there that is, most filmmakers have never set foot into and whenever you actually get there you're like why the hell does this matter but the cast and directors it's very turnkey for you guys
1: Exactly right. Very well. <laughs> so what is so
0: what are some of the what are some of the things if I'd never cast anything before that I and I'm like I'm gonna make my first movie I'm so excited I have you know raised the money let's even say what are some of the things that I'm going to encounter that I might not think of if I'm trying to do casting by myself or ways that a casting director will open the door for you to help find more success.
1: Well, I think a lot of. Um first-time filmmakers and directors were trying to cast the project, their initial inclination is to go to Backstage.com or um, Breakdown Express for Actors Access or Casting Networks, because they see that as tools we use, so they can do what we're doing. But it, I think something that people don't know is agents and managers submit to the projects and the people they know. So you may be missing out on a huge pool of talent. Um, I also think casting directors, we understand resumes a little bit more. We know what the training is when it's listed on a resume. We know we can see who they've worked with and therefore what instincts this actor may have. Um, So I think actors have become really great at fluffing resumes. And (laughs) I think sometimes that can be a slope that first time filmmakers who are casting on their own will fall into Um, other things they may not be aware of.
0: Well, so for instance, like, you know, checking avails, like, you know what I mean, Mm -hmm. and pitching the right person, also getting a breakdown out. And then you might get people pitched to you that you weren't even expecting because they're available and they're interested in the general premise and you might have a relationship with them.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think another thing that's really important with any project is a lot of filmmakers come to casting and are like, what number do we need to offer to get this talent? And that's always a really tricky conversation to have because from our perspective, there is no magic number. And I hate telling that to clients because they're like, well, that's what I came here for. And there really isn't. I mean, every project and every talent, it's going to depend on their availability. Um, Do they like the script? Do they have some sort of relationship or know of any of the filmmakers? Um, If they don't, then they have to be captivated in some other way. Um, And I think a lot of times, actors are approached to play what we know them to play. Like if you want Jennifer Aniston for a film, you know what you're getting with Jennifer Aniston and she's wonderful. And you have that really like warm girl next door vibe. But if you're a smaller project that may not have the budget that Jennifer Aniston is used to getting, there needs to be something else to draw her. She doesn't wanna just play the same thing she always plays. So whether it's a character that's really appealing to this actor, or maybe it's something really outside of left field that would be really interesting for their career. So it's thinking of it in a strategic way from the talent standpoint that I think is important that is sometimes overlooked.
0: Totally. And do you frequently, do you find yourself if you're like, oh, this person's really good for this, it'd be good for them? Why? They're a little out of our budget range. Do you ever pitch to their agents and say, hey, here's why this would be good for you?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, the person that these wise words came from, but got to play to win, um, was taught to me when I was very early in my career. And that's always the case. I mean, I've been surprised. I've gotten some big talent to sign on to short films because they liked the script and were available. Um, so it always depends and I'll always manage expectations to the best of my ability. But if we want to give it a shot, we can give it a shot.
0: Having made like a few pilots myself and short films and things and not worked with cast and directors and frankly it was just like i mean do we have the money for this and let's see what we can get i can straight up say if i could go back that's one thing i would absolutely change i would try earlier to get more named actors in my career because it helps not only does it help you sell and get appeal it also helps validate you as an artist and i'm just speaking kind of from a director standpoint or producer standpoint you say hey i made a short film with x person in it is a whole hell of a lot different than i made a short film that you know was a finalist in this film festival like those two things are both really good but one lifts your career in a way that the other will not
1: Mm -hmm. yeah and that's understandable and i mean i whenever you can get a name on a project it's great i just like to push away from i think there's so much of an emphasis on that People sometimes go for the name over whether they are really right for that project. So that's always kind of the fun back and forth that needs to be done. And casting can be helpful with that to say, well, that's this person's great, but yeah, yeah.
0: And that's again where it can be good to say, you again, you guys have. There is this whole insular world of agents and managers that really like if you don't have a relationship with them and you're not in that world, it's really hard to get an honest conversation because I don't know who the hell you are. And it totally makes sense. You know what I mean? If every day, all day, you're getting pitched on things and trying to decide what's best for your client, having somebody that speaks the language that can translate it is really, really useful um, I think in the times I have you know been in that world because you can say, hey, here's what I really want oh, I'm looking for this we're trying to make this kind of thing and you can help translate pitch that and find out who's available and you might be surprised who's there
1: mm-hmm.
0: who's walking that line. Um, so talk to me let's go back a little bit one step and say how did you get how did you come about to be in casting?
1: Sure um, I was a total theater kid growing up. Um, went to a performing arts camp, went to a performing arts high school um, in New Jersey, went to as many Broadway shows as I could growing up. Um, But my parents are lawyers, so I loved being a part of a production, but there was always kind of wheels turning line to put together the pieces. Um, And I always loved Tech Week more so than really opening night. Like It wasn't so much for me about the instant gratification and being on stage. It was about like putting it together. Um, so so uh, one summer I was home from college. I didn't want to work at Nine West like I did the summer before. So I started looking through all my playbills and I saw casting by. Um, I mean, I had a general idea of what casting was, but this was before American Idol and before casting became a little more of a conversation. Right
0: before it became such a forefront element itself.
1: Exactly. So I gave this office a call because they appeared in all my favorite playbills, asked if they needed help for the summer, Um, ended up working with them for two summers. So working on a lot of Broadway shows, um, films, and I was still in college at the time. So it was experiences that I loved. Um, I tried some other things during college. I did PR, development, all this stuff, but it was kind of like, I think I just found what I love really early. So um, right after college, I got a four week assistant gig on a casting project that was actually real people casting. Um, That turned into Chopped, which became a beast. Um, (laughs) So I cast season one through 11 of Chopped, moved up during that process. But during that really wanted to get back to the scripted side, which was where I started. Um, so I was freelancing in the non scripted casting world. And then that led me to commercials, which is kind of this perfect in between. So you still need the acting chops you would need for film or Broadway or theater. But it's so much about the authenticity of you, which is what I was really harnessing in real people casting. So landed kind of in the middle in commercials and started at liz lewis casting partners 10 years ago now which is insane wow
0: 10 years that's crazy to think it's been that long
1: i know um so started at that office where liz really got her name in the commercial world and then since i've been there really pushed back into the scripted side so now I get to do a little bit of everything if it's a project I'm passionate about. I do um, animation, voiceover, commercials, TV, film, real people. So a little bit of everything.
0: Yeah. You know, that in me tra- here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, So that's how I met you. I was I appreciate your story so much because it echoes so much of me. I was in theater and I did all this stuff. And that's just what was available in rural Missouri. And then I started doing professional work and always loved the creation process much more than I loved the show run it's like okay. once you're doing a show you do like a show like an 80 show run and you're like uh, halfway through I was like I want to move on to the next thing so that I feel very that's how similar to my path and then I met you I was working in a restaurant and I took an unpaid internship on Chopped and a couple of other series that you were helping cast and that's you taught me the, the little bit I know about casting was during that time <laughs> and then I slowly moved out of that but so just uh, I just always it's crazy to think that's been over 10 years ago when when I met you, yeah, like two
1: thousand eight, two thousand
0: nine. It kind of scares the shit out of me if I'm being honest. Cause I'm like, what has happened <laughs> to my life in that amount of time? um So, talk a little bit about because you were starting in casting real people, and that is a whole different ball game that we've never even really talked about on here. Is I direct a lot of documentary with a lot of real people like, right. And that is a whole different shenanigans. Like, so what is it? What are you looking for when you're casting real people? quote unquote. So like families or, you know, contestants on a show or something.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think reality gets a bad rap, but I think the work that is behind reality, whether it's commercials or TV or whatever is so interesting and can be so fun and so creative. Um, So in college, I studied, you know, theater and communications, but I minored in psychology. I've always had such an interest in psychology, and I think that's kind of what draws me to real people casting, because real people casting, you as the casting person know why you're interviewing this person for whatever project, but they don't. They're not actors. They haven't practiced their elevator pitch or anything like that. So it's up to you as the casting director to pull that out of them in their own words. So, um, you know, for Chopped, for example, chefs are so talented, but what they do is not a verbal art It is with their hands. It goes from their brain to their hands and communicating that isn't something they do that often, unless they've done a ton of TV. So, so much about the casting process is meeting people who can communicate why they make those decisions. So that's just one example, but real people casting, it's all about this person is special and it's my job to bring that out of them, which can be really great and interesting and fulfilling.
0: Yeah. Also, it's usually the first time casting where they've ever been in a room where their cameras and lights and things are going to distract them and you're trying to see if they can get over that hump and get back to who they are as a person on camera.
1: Yeah. And that, the whole making someone comfortable while there's a camera filming them regardless of the casting medium even with actors that is part of my job making that person feel safe and comfortable because the more safe and comfortable they feel the better the result's going to be on my side so it's a lot of kind of meeting people where they are hearing them listening making the connect the connection in a trusting way um, and being supportive of them so that when it is time to start the audition process, whatever that may be, they are just focusing on you and what they need to be answering or doing.
0: Yeah, I I've talked to a couple of other director friends of mine who do, you know, real people sort of directing. And that's something that I'm finding more and more, it's really almost a blessing with COVID and Zoom and now being a thing for client portals because my experience is a lot of times clients will want to do their own interviews, especially if it's someone famous and someone they like. They want to talk and they want to be the friend with this person. And it becomes about their experience and not the story. And my other director friends have had this experience also where, you know, we, we're we're good at this and we're not good at it because like, oh, look at the ego trip. I've just done a lot of it. Like I know how to make the camera and the lights disappear and talk to somebody on an interview setting. It's a skill. It's something you have to practice. You have to learn over time. And I frequently see a lot of people now, well, used to previously before COVID, wanting to do their own interviews. And now this is a lot better because we can kind of control, you know what I mean? It's like now you get to absolutely get them out of there. They still get their input, but you can have a lot more focused conversation. And I think that that is something I hope can maintain after all of this is kind of going back to live sets now. Um, I, th- I think that really you know less is more frequently with real people in my experience is you don't you can't direct them as much as you can let them build and build and get more comfortable and then push them in a direction they can go
1: yeah absolutely and it's been interesting in the scripted world as well because auditions have transferred over to a digital fashion yeah um, what's your experience with that. for that
0: yeah i i'm not gonna Beater, I hate it. I really, really hate auditioning people remotely. Like it is uh, the sort of the bane of my existence because you kind half of what I'm looking for is a connection, is a feeling, like a, an electricity. Not just can you read the lines and look kind of like the part you're trying to feel how a person's going to be. How, do, how does it been for you?
1: I mean, luckily coming from the real people casting world, I was always used to remote casting because I'd be casting nationally. So. I'd have to be doing whether it was through Skype or Zoom or whatever before COVID hit. Mm -hmm. Um, and also, I mean, self tapes were always a thing. It's just something that got, you know, ramped up in a huge way. So I think there are pros and cons to all of it. Um, self tapes. I think the pro is an actor can do it 20 times and I would know, I wouldn't know. And I'm just getting their best take. Um, the con is there's no feedback there. So actors are really feeling like they are auditioning into a void, not to mention they now have to put on, you know, the lighting hat, the DP hat, the audio hat, and all of these things that isn't their job at the end of the day, yet being judged for some of those things, whether or not the production is cognizant of that. Um, I try to do as many auditions as I can virtually. So whether that's through Zoom or something like that, so I can give the feedback. Um, And I think the pros there are that the actor is avoiding the stress that goes into the day before or the day right before the audition of like, getting to a casting studio and you know, dealing with the subway or dealing with parking and just letting life beat you down right before an audition, which inevitably always happens when you don't want it.
0: It's no no shit. I remember when I was acting in New York and I first got here and sometimes you'd get off the subway, be hot, sweaty, running into this thing, trying to find where you're going. You're 30 minutes early so you can get your stuff together. And then they're like, Oh, somebody no showed you ready to go now. And it's like, you don't want to say no, but at the same time, you're like, I mean, I'm really, (laughs) I'm just dealing with the, uh, the guy that just spit on me outside, you know? And that, uh, so that, that is a very (laughs) real scenario.
1: Yeah absolutely so like that is a great thing and now the actors come in their space at least i'm sure the day will beat you down in other ways but it's cutting out some of those obstacles um but yeah i mean i think through zoom you can get some of that connection um but it's always going to be different than the energy you feel in a room so i think the only way to really get that back is to get back in the room with people I don't think in-person auditions or callbacks will ever go away completely. I know a lot of productions that are getting back to in-person callbacks in a safe way. Um, But yeah, I think these are great tools that we've used in the past two years. I don't think they're gonna go away. I think they are gonna stick around more so than beforehand. Um, But yeah, I think the happy, the best scenario is some way to to incorporate all of it, these new right. tools, as well as what was working in the past.
0: Yeah. So can I ask you a couple of questions just as like a, is a talent, I'm going to say just a talent translator, you know what I mean? What are some things let's take from the actor's side for a second when you're doing scripted, let's specifically kind of talk about scripted. So that's what everybody really is into. I think on this uh, podcast, what, um, what are some things you see people do frequently that you're like okay i mean just don't do that like this would be a strong improvement like some a couple of things that you're like for instance like some actors bring real weapons to callbacks you know what i mean like is that something that bugs you
1: i mean yes luckily i've never had that happen but i would Definitely prefer no weapons in my audition. Right, or even
0: replicas or something. You know what I mean? Like, it's like I've seen a few people, like, and they're caught they pull up a real gun and you can like, watch. Like, you know, I grew up in Missouri, so I'm a little like, oh, okay, that's a choice. But I've seen other people in the room just like freak out and like their eyes get huge and I'm like, oh, yeah, maybe don't do that.
1: A colleague of mine does a lot of the, you know, law shows and someone brought in a real gun and she was like, I need to ask you to leave.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. So things yeah. like that. Have you seen, Are there things that people frequently, you know, it's so difficult being an actor. I mean, I've, I feel so bad for the process for them so many times. You have to set your shit up in your house usually, find somebody to read with you, read something and tape yourself, edit it down, send it in, and then pay, sometimes people watch 10 seconds of it and be like, nope, next one. You know, also the slates. My God, can I talk about how awkward slates are so for people who don't know what slates are it's like it, for me my experience It's somebody says hi uh, i'm steven pierce i'm five nine i live in new york city and then the camera goes from your face pans down your entire body and then pans back up so that just for a second everybody's just looking at the shape of you it's a human it is so off-putting
1: <laughs> like, it's really funny you bring that up because from the casting perspective you know, you do your slates multiple times every day. How many times do we say our own names in daily life? Like, it shouldn't be this awkward thing. And I, so I'm a, I'm on the board of directors for the Casting Society of America and did this panel during COVID about virtual auditioning to help actors and know what the expectation of casting directors were. And so we sent out this big survey of like, what would you like us to discuss? And by far, the biggest topic that was brought up was slates. And to us, we were almost blown away by it. We're like, "You, you had to do slates before COVID. Like, why is this a thing now? And I think there's this weird psychology to slates where when you're doing the scene, you are able to camouflage yourself into that role. But the slate is this moment where actors feel so exposed and it isn't them playing a part. It's them Surely them and it's so interesting that people feel that vulnerable during the slate but yeah yeah. I
0: mean, it's the exact same. You can, if you've ever had this experience as an individual, you sit around, you got to record something for a friend's birthday or something. And you say it, you can say it to yourself. Oh yeah, no problem. A hundred times, whatever. And now put the camera on or hit record. See how many times it takes you now and how awkward you feel. It's because exactly right. It's you as a human. So one of the hardest things to do is just have four or five people stand there and just stand. Don't do anything. Just literally just exist. That is one of the hardest things to do. In the performance world, is be exposed like that. Have you found yeah. any better methods than the the straight up pan tilt? What did you guys? What are you What are you doing now?
1: Yeah, well, one thing I'll suggest to people is just take a f- picture, a full body shot, and throw that in there instead of the pan. As long as it's a recent full body shot, I'm happy. Um, but in slates in general, I'm stealing this from one of the casting directors who was on the panel, but. An interesting thing that she said was, as actors, your job is to repeat the same line as if it's the first time you're ever saying it. So approach the slate in the same way. How many times a day do you say your name? Approach it that way where, okay, how can I internalize this? So it's like the first time I'm ever saying it. Um, And I found that really interesting, at least to kind of put back on the playing a role and able to camouflage into the role for the slate. Um, But yeah, in terms of the panning, just do a full body shot and throw that still in there. If editing is above your pay grade, which is fine, because again, that's not your job as an actor, then, you know, just get far enough away and try to do show as much of your body as you can. And don't worry about the backgrounds. I mean, actors are so aware of what we're seeing in the backgrounds. We don't care. We know that you are doing the best you can do. What I want to focus on is your performance. So as long as the background isn't distracting from that, I'm happy.
0: 100 percent agree like as long as it's not distracting but i mean i I think so many even agents and managers get on actors about like what your setup looks like what's your lighting and all this at the end of the day we need to see you and at least for me i want to hear you like i hear truth you know what i mean i don't so i'm not really looking for you know no one expects you to be the cinematographer you know that's that we have there are people that are going to do that like it's you just want to see and hear you
1: and i've Um, seen some people edit together and all this stuff, but to the point where that's distracting. Mm -hmm. And it's hard for me to present one video that's like expertly edited with like fade crosses and like lower thirds and all this and putting that in the same presentation as someone who didn't do all of that. Right. I mean, the editing, don't worry about it. Like we, if it's a big thing, we can do it for you. That's more our job than the actors.
0: Completely. So there's one thing that confuses me. And I wonder how, if you've come across this and if you have any thoughts on this. Actors will frequently send a couple of takes. So, you know what I mean? They'll do the same scene twice. And for me, I'm like, usually, and this is my experience also as an actor, they're not as different as you think they are. You know what I mean? They're, they're usually extremely similar. So when I see somebody doing that, I'm like, what, what were they doing here that they felt it was so different that they needed to send two?
1: Well, I think that's a case of the actor just not making a strong choice. Um, One of the biggest pieces of advice every casting director gives every actor, and we feel bad saying it because we know we're all saying it, is make strong choices. Um, It can be the wrong choice, that's fine, but at least it's showing us that you've thought about the material and are making a cognizant choice that we can see through your performance. So I think a lot of times when actors are given the direction to more than one take they just take it as that um and either they did make a choice but it wasn't strong enough where it really came through or they weren't really thinking about the material and making that choice
0: yeah for me it's you know i'm looking at you as a person i'm listening to how you respond listening to your timbre like what the way kind of some kind of choice or first tape anyway then I'm going to give you notes. You know what I mean? We'll say, hey, do this again like this. Or you did great. I just want to see a slight variation on it. Usually when I say that, I'm just like, can they do it again? You know, can they do it again a week from now? Like, or sometimes we, we just did something recently and I was like, can I, can we just please get on a Zoom call with this person? Because I think they're very talented, but they might be an insane person. Like my sense is they might just be hard For production to deal with. So I just like to talk to them for a moment and make sure they're not going to show up with, you know, five ferrets and, you know, you know, and, you know, I don't know, an RV full of cocaine. You know what I mean? Just want to make sure that it's, they're not an insane person. So that's, that's kind of my experience with that. I don't know where I was, there's no real question at the end of this. It's just, It's kind of, that's usually, I I agree. One, make a choice, send in one thing. It doesn't have to be the end of the world. Usually you're going to get called back anyway on your look and your general vibe, at least in the first time. And if you don't, don't take it personally because it's probably, Oh, the person you're acting across is four inches taller than you. And we can't do something with that, you know?
1: Yeah. Well, it's good for, I like hearing that from a director because I think a lot of time people take the audition as the full scope and they'll say, oh, I like the look and the vibe of this person, but this line, I didn't like the way they did X, Y, Z. Mm-hmm. Um, and casting should only be presenting you people that they are confident can take direction and are could potentially be a good fit for your project. So I always can encourage if there's something interesting about that read, let's give them another chance if there's something you're hesitant about. So whether that's asking them to do another tape or doing a callback, whether virtually or in person, I think that's important. And I think as casting, we do the best we can to model these people into what you're looking for. But the actor's connection with the director is a huge part of the equation. So I've been in callbacks where the director still wants me to direct, which I enjoy doing and I love doing that, but I think it's important a lot of time for the director to at least make themselves known and start that relationship because as casting, I can get a certain performance, but if the director is not going to get that performance on set, because they're not used to working with that talent, that can be, you know, yeah. An
0: issue. 100%. What on that note, what are some things that we can do better on the casting production, producing directing side? Like whenever you, what, what have you seen done? They're like, Oh, that, that you should not do that. And, I'll give my first biggest note. I'm sure there's a ton for me. I see people talk way too much. Like when they're directing, like if you're saying, if you can't say it in a couple of sentences, what you want them to do, you're giving them too much direction. People can only do one thing at a time.
1: Yeah. I think that's a great note. One direction at a time, let the actor really think and make that clear choice. Because the more you throw at them, the choices are going to become less clear because they're making multiple choices. Um, What else? Line reads. I mean, I think that's pretty obvious. But if you are struggling to have an actor do something a certain way, and the only way you're able to accomplish it is a line read, then I think there's, you're not really letting the actor make that choice. You're just saying, say it like this. 100%
0: Um, I mean just as an actor if you're an actor and you're saying the line exactly the same way every time with rote repetition and there are people that are technically really good and they can just fake it and they just can't I don't find that to usually be the best performances that always has a little subtlety on the moment or like it's real to the best of your ability but same thing with the director if you're expecting the an exact line read before you've heard an actor do it you've got to get that out of your head because you're not leaving any room for anyone to make your piece better. Like you're just stuck with what you have in your head. And I promise you, it's probably not as good as you think it is.
1: Right. The only exception I'd say to that is sometimes with kids, it's helpful. Sure. But yeah. Otherwise, if they're they're old enough to make the choices, then let them make the choices. Um. And I think that's a really good point. I think, I mean, my brother's a writer and creatives have such a clear vision of what this should be in their head. But that vision is very different between the writer, the producer, the director. So as the casting director, it's my job to find something that suits all of those needs and hear all of those needs and try to materialize it. And I think sometimes certain creatives, they're so stuck on what they're hearing in their head that sometimes it's hard for them to be open to other interpretations. Um, But when you are open, sometimes there's something really magical about it um so it's all about and that's one of the great parts about film or production in general is the collaboration of it so mm-hmm. that's something I always am excited about when I'm working with a team it's like here's how we hear it and here are our needs but like bring us out of the box ideas that may suit these needs in a way that's not in our heads right now
0: Right. I mean, you never know if you're so stuck on something that you're expecting this to be exactly read this way into this. I mean, you're not leaving any room for flow, like because you also don't know how that's going to shoot. You know what I mean? There are lots mm-hmm. of times that have been like, oh, this is going to be awesome. And then it just totally doesn't work whenever you get there, because in your head, physics doesn't exist. People need to move over there. People don't have to do this. They don't. It's like it. it you got to have that. And that's also the huge Huge thing I learned from Steve Wolf, who is an artistic director at the St. Louis Rep, and I AD'd for him, and Stephen had a very different style of directing than any other director I've ever worked with, but I really learned from him this one key thing. Cast great talent. Cast people that will make strong choices. Cast people that are going to show up every time prepared, ready to go with an idea, because then you can shape something. It is so hard... (laughs) to create something with nothing whenever you look at somebody and they're totally i mean they might be beautiful and like just sing on camera but if they are not bringing any choices and they're just kind of muddling through you're never gonna get dynamic out of them in my experience you want somebody that's gonna come and make decisions you can always make somebody's hair a little neater you can make somebody's wardrobe a little tighter but man you got it especially in lead roles like you need that strong strong performer i agree (laughs) <laughs> what's a so let's talk a little bit about uh, animation you just had uh, you have your first is it your first narrative animation project or is it your largest
1: uh first it's been released so I have a bunch released. that are kind of in the works
0: so this I don't have any experience hardly at all in animation like I mean some little pieces here and there but what what is it what's what's the difference when you go to cast animation what are you looking
2: for
1: um A lot of it is the same. It's about who is right for that part, who can make interesting choices. I'd say the biggest difference is you don't have your face to rely on to really get your emotion across. So there needs to be some strong choices when it comes to your vocals. Um, And I think also something that's really cool about animation is there's so much character development that's done. and the same happens for film. You're given a character and really asked to explore it and make choices. But with animation, there's so much freedom, um, and it's harder to make a wrong choice. I would say so. At least for a new show with new characters, we are putting a lot of responsibility on the actor to bring this to life and your interpretation could be totally different than the next person auditioning for it. And we kind of take your imagination and what you've done with the role and then are able to work with that and kind of mold it into what we know the production's looking for.
0: Is it similar? So I once heard somebody say about modeling that modeling is, you're not looking for the most attractive person. You're looking for somebody with a unique look, something that's catching, something that like hooks you. I don't know if that's true or not. That's just what I, I remember them saying. Does any of that apply to this animation sort of world where you're really looking for somebody that has a just something interesting? Because again, you can't look at it. And I know in radio, that's like a big thing. Like when I was working in radio um, and writing pieces, we we're doing radio plays. There was not about, it's not about the same thing. It's about who can flow, who has really good word, like, um, what is it called? Objective word choice. So you're not overemphasizing lines. And you just have something interesting to give you a texture of what the character looks like in your imagination.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think texture is a huge part of it. And it's not something you notice when you're talking to people on a daily basis. And I think just the voiceover world in general. I mean, how many commercials do you hear where you're like, that person sounds familiar? And the reason is it's probably a celebrity. And the reason they chose that celebrity is because people feel a connection with that voice. They know that voice. Um, So they're immediately taking in what that voice is saying in a different way. And I think with animation and voiceover projects, they're looking for a quality in that voice that people will find interesting, will clearly know what, Understand the story and understand the flow, and bring a character to life that they can't really see.
0: In voiceover, they usually are doing those, like even the animations, they're doing characters individually, right? Like an actor will do. Do you ever cast multiple actors do multiple characters? And and also, what are those deal terms? That look like are they based on a single session? And then is there usage on that? Like in your experience, how does that how does that roll out versus like a narrative on camera piece?
1: So a lot of at least animation talent are playing multiple roles, not for every role. A lot, a lot of times like the leads will do certain roles and they'll have utility talent that kind of flesh out the universe. Um, so yes, to that first question, they are playing multiple roles a lot of the time. Well, let's um, even pause
0: there and go into that for one second. So when you're casting utility person, are you really looking at resume? Are you looking at how do you say, hey, can you do five different voices for me on these?
1: depends on the project sometimes they say you know if it's you know a zoo let's have them let's write kind of a spec script of different animals have them do voices sounds all of that um sometimes there are specific roles already written that they're looking for one talent to read all of them so then we're kind of pushing them in specific directions towards those characters got it um and then what was your other question oh like deal points and stuff
0: yeah like is it how are you booking you know because i know look this is i think a good thing to go over anyway just because understanding basic sag deal terms like and how the booking works is kind of confusing as hell for somebody that's not in it and was at least it was for me and i still don't understand it so if you could explain it to me i'd really appreciate it (laughs)
1: Well, yes, Z- SAG <laughs> dictates everything, and it's about keeping up with SAG and what they're doing. Luckily, that's not the director's job to do, unless you're wearing multiple hats and all of that. Um,
0: this is an indie filmmaking podcast, Rachel. <laughs> <true. Sorry. laughs> I don't think there's anybody not wearing multiple hats.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so in animation or voiceovers in general it depends on the contract so there's an animation contract there's a commercial contract um so the rules are different according to that but for the most part it's per session and you know they're paying scale and the scale rates are dictated um there isn't usage as there is in the commercial world um it's more kind of the SAG rate SAG scale rate
0: Cool. My, my big, largest familiarity is probably with commercial sag stuff. So, um, what, what is, how do those, can you just kind of give me a comparison of what normal like contracts are looking for and like what you would appreciate or what you'd look for in a indie film world as well? So if you're making a narrative, what, what are you going to, and it has 10 characters, you know what I mean? And there are two leads two you know, what I call supporting roles. So they're in on, you know, half the scenes, but they're really not that. And then you got six day players that math's right? Right. Okay. So how, how would you, uh, how, how, what, what do you, what kind of contracts would you offer and what are some limitations to them?
1: Well, luckily it's not casting's job to offer the contract. So, We are given what we are given and-
0: Right, you work it out with, I mean, so at least in my experience, they come and they say, you know, I would offer something like this, but we have to make the terms and you just negotiate the deal. But technically, it's sometimes hard to understand what's a weekly versus a daily. And if you commit to a weekly, can you still do a daily? And what's travel days like and all of that? Do is that anything, is that any of the understanding of what you have with all that?
1: Sure. And I I think a lot of that is dictated on what contracts you are under. Um, which is something SAG will dictate. So when an indie film goes to SAG and says, here's our project, SAG is gonna look at your overall budget and say, okay, you fit into this contract. With that contract comes a bunch of rules, a bunch of SAG scale minimums. And that is what we as casting are taking from for all of those rules. Um, And those aren't even kind of the negotiation points. Those are just the minimum that you have to do. But I think what's good for filmmakers to hear is scale is a word that's thrown around and people are like, oh, we're paying scale. But just keep in mind, scale equals minimum. So a lot of filmmakers are like, oh, well, this is what we pay. This is the rate for that contract. And it's like, yes, that's the minimum rate for that contract. So if you're working with You know talent at a higher level or just a lead who's going to be working their butt off for that project they may not want to work scale they may want more than that and that's within their right and i think another misconception is it's the agent's job to negotiate i think a lot of times when casting comes back and says hey this agent's asking for x amount more or these deal points there's sometimes frustration there with indie films, but and I get it because we're all it's usually a bootstrap production, you don't have extra money, you're just thrown around. But it is the agent's job to negotiate on behalf of their talent. So that's kind of my thoughts on scale and rates. And in terms of daily versus weekly, those are things that are dictated by SAG, and the rates will be dictated by SAG. So When a project comes to me and says, okay, we're working with a mod low contract. I then have a general outline of what these deals may look like. But then on top of that, there are a lot of other things that are up to the producer's discretion, whether that's dressing, well, there's a minimum for dressing rooms, but dressing facilities, how that's being handled on set, back end points, box office bonuses, um, credits is a huge thing. Credits is
0: such a huge thing and it is the bane of my existence. You know, I I just don't get credits at all. Um, But you know, I, it is a huge thing to many people. I'm, I think I might be the odd man out where I'm like, once the frame hits black at the end of the film, do whatever the fuck you want with it. Like, I don't really care. You know what I mean? It's like who It it, it see, so arbitrary to like argue over. No, I get to go first. No, I get a single card. No, I can't do, you know, I must have this in front of my name. It just is so, such a world I don't care about. <laughs> I don't mean to say that flippantly. I'm just like, you know, I no other career in the world do you do. Like a carpenter doesn't go build a building and then, you know what I mean, get to negotiate where they put their name on the front of it. And I just find this, it's one thing about the entertainment industry I've always found really odd. And I love, love anytime I see a first-time filmmaker that's like, hey so-and-so film you know what i mean and then at the end they're like the first card and then they're like the second card and then the third card i'm like jesus christ man like <laughs> get over this like come on
1: and it's so fascinating when you're having those discussions with agents and talent and everything i remember i had a indie film where it was a film about women and the stars were women but there was one love interest and the agent was trying to negotiate with me for a second position. And I'm like, he can't go before the two lead women or even one of the lead women because that's what this show's about. And became this whole like, you know, sexism conversation. (laughs) Like, it's like, we're just talking about credits, people. Come on.
0: It's white text on a black screen. Who cares? That's my opinion. Like, who cares? You did your work in the movie. If people don't remember who the hell they are and want to know you after the movie, you did not do a good job. Your name on black is not going to help you.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And that's why you should, you know, pay talent accordingly so they don't have to get as, you know... Vicious arms over credits. credits.
0: Well, <laughs> you know, it just is an amazing. It's an amazing thing to me, and I, I don't know. I, I think it's a. It's always, a, but it is a thing position, and also, yeah. I mean, you get all these weird negotiating points. I mean, it's just interesting, like the the po- things about. Um, you know, travel, obviously, but I get that also. You're like, hey, I'm traveling out to do this thing in the middle of nowhere. I don't want to fly business class. Something I was not aware of um, that I learned about recently, though, is this most favored nations. So that's something that can get people in a tricky spot if they don't understand what that is and what that means. So what's a most favored nations offer and when is it usually most applied?
1: So that is saying that if it's favored nations, then all of the talent at whatever tier is defined gets paid the same thing. Um, Agents will ask for that. um, If it's kind of an ensemble piece, or say there's a lead and a love interest, they just want to make sure that if one of those people are getting more money, the other one will bump up to the same rate. Um, It can sometimes get tricky because different talent has different needs, different agents are going to ask for different things. So if it's favored nations, if one person bumps up, and you have, you know, five or 10 people on that tier, now you're paying a lot more money because all those people are going to bump up to that. Um, But you can always try a tier system where it's like, okay, these are the top two, under that, and then under that. Um, But I'd say it's most applicable for like ensemble pieces or those kind of things.
0: Got it. Yeah, that's something that I learned about. And it's also, as I understand it, there are many <clears throat> different factions are also negotiable under most favored nations. Like you can have a most favored nations for salary, you can have most favored nations for uh, com, you know compensation points and stuff like that, and they all don't necessarily have to be the same. But I believe whenever they say it in talent terms, usually they mean pretty much across the board. Like anything yeah. they get, I get too. Exactly. Um, yeah. So which it makes sense. You know, if you got two or three leads. You don't want to have somebody freak out and shut down your set because their agent found out they're making $100 less a day. At that point, it's just not worth it. You know, it's like, just make it the same so that, you know, whatever. But that is a slippery slope. you get somebody coming in and be like, I will only do X. Now you got a real problem because you have to do it for people even though they may not give a shit. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, and this will all be in writing. So it's not something you want to kind of play with.
0: (laughs) Right, exactly. But those are like the deal points. So, um going down the the rabbit hole there on some contracts and stuff. I can tell it's your favorite thing to talk about, um, with your, just your enthusiasm. (laughs) (laughs) Um,
1: yeah, I mean, casting can be less glamorous. I think a lot of people see it as it's a lot of organization, a lot of spreadsheets, a lot of scheduling. Um, but I do really love it. I mean, you meet interesting people every day, you get to work with talent, you get to work with actors. Um, I do a lot of kids casting. So there's, it's a never ending pool of new talent. Um, And yeah, I think a lot of casting directors are kind of in their area. And I I love being able to do a little bit of everything. Um, I think that helps the other fields and I'll meet a talent in commercials and say, that person would be great for this film. And getting to swap amongst genres is really cool.
0: Yeah, definitely. So um I guess um my I mean last thing is like what do you what have you been up to recently? What do you got coming up? What are you working on that you want to plug and where can people find out more about you?
1: Sure. Um well I'd say the project that's most immediately coming out is um the animated series called Get Rolling with Otis. It's coming out October eighth, so I think that's Friday on Apple TV. And it's a kid's show that's based on a best-selling kids' book series called Otis the Tractor. So that was really fun, such a joy to cast, and I'm really excited it's finally coming out. Um, And I'm also on the board of directors for the Casting Society of America, where we kind of try to elevate the profession as much as possible. So that's helping people know what casting is, because a lot of people still don't. Um, helping the future generation of casting be well-informed and diverse. Um, We're working on training programs because...
0: Oh, that's very cool.
1: Yeah, and casting is a very small world. I think a lot of people fall into it in different ways. But right now, a lot of the ways people get into it is interning, which can exclude a lot of people. So we're trying to make it more accessible to more and just make it of well-learned and diverse casting of the future.
0: Filmmaking is a collaborative experience and so is this podcast. Please take a second to subscribe so you know about future episodes and leave a review. It really does help us. For more info about today's guest, please visit independentfilmmakersguide.com where you can check out all our episodes that run the gamut of filmmaking topics. They're available in both audio and video format.
2: IFG is created by Framework Productions. This episode was hosted and directed by Stephen Pierce and James Allardyce. It was produced and edited by Matt Mundy and Audrey Ray McHale. The music is by Glassboy. Find his music on freemusicarchive.org. See and listen to all the episodes at independentfilmmakersguide.com. Thanks for listening. Hey friends, we just wanted to take a quick moment to talk about two personal things. First, we wanted to thank you, our listening community and our wonderful guests, learning so much together along the way and continuing to learn, sharing our stories, making a lot of new friends, and collaborating, which is exactly what this is all about. Which also brings me to my second point. In great part to many of these new relationships, we wanted to let you know that we've taken a lot of this advice ourselves and made our own narrative feature film heard. H E R D Heard, which is premiering this October on Friday the 13th in Select Theaters as well as on VOD. Personally, I think it's the perfect kind of scary movie to watch during our favorite scary season. So we'd love for you to celebrate with us and watch Herd. You can pre-order it on Apple TV and of course do the communal thing, see it in theaters. Of course, for all of this, please see our show notes, but basically we're going to keep it all updated at herd.film. That's H-E-R-D F-I-L-M, herd.film as well. Thank you again. And be sure to give us a rating and a review over on Apple Podcasts so we can continue to build this community and collaborate. IFG, how movies get made.